WVRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. On a Friday afternoon, we're so excited to have everybody along with us. It's been another great week for our Square Consulting. A lot of speaking engagements this week. I did like four different podcasts. So watch our page as we'll link those out when they become available. Uh, But did a lot of recording this week. It was a lot of fun. And just a couple of reminders. Next week, uh, the PMI Virtual uh, Expo, there's literally like 250,000 people that join this virtual conference. I will be your host uh, taking you through that. That's going to be on June 13th. You can go to projectmanagement.com or PMI.org uh, to find out more information about the PMI Expo. Uh, and then we've got a few more speaking engagements coming up in June, uh, one in Minneapolis uh, on the 17th. And then, of course, we'll be going out to Boston right before uh, the July 4th week. So we hope that you, you'll always follow uh, the page at rickamorris.com and find out uh, where we're going to be and join us. Now today we've got a very exciting guest um, and she is an author of Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World. She's a leading authority on crisis preparedness, reputation management, and brand protection. She's a coveted speaker, commentator, and advisor to some of today's leading organizations faced with the greatest risk. And I had an opportunity to catch her TED Talk, which was amazing. Uh, As a strategic advisor and keynote speaker, she's worked with NATO, Ministries of Foreign Affairs and Defense, financial firms, technology companies, healthcare organizations, cities and municipalities, law enforcement agencies, global nonprofits, basically anybody in business, she's talked to them. And she helps them understand risk and build invincible brands that can withstand even the most devastating of events. I'd love to bring her on the show right now, Melissa Agnes. How are you, Melissa? I'm well, Rick. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. So uh, we just did a little introduction, but introduce yourself to our audience. Tell them a little bit about how you got here. My strong point, talking about myself, um, the, story, <laughs> the story of how I got here. So um, I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life since I was 21. And, and you're only 22 now, so just, about yes, a year. It's just been a couple years. Sure. Um, and apparently I'm not good at math, so 21 to 22 <laughs> is a couple years. Um, yeah, so I kind of floated around for a bit, and about eight, nine years ago, I was doing brand strategies when, right at the cusp of when organizations realized that, you know, they should be on social and they could leverage that. And I remember the day that it happened. So I have a brain that, the way that my brain works is in a pattern. It sees risk, 
everywhere. It sees mitigation strategies for that risk. And then it sees opportunity through the mitigation. It's like if I were to put my brain in a linear fashion, that is the pattern of its working. And so I remember one morning I was, you know, reading and doing everything that I do. Um, and it struck me as odd that nobody was talking about the risk of social media, of technology, of the real-time news cycle. And of course, then my mind went to the mitigation strategies of that risk and then the opportunities of through those mitigation strategies. And that kind of triggered something inside of me where I spent a year just devouring everything that I could on the topic of crisis management, which before that day, I didn't know was a thing. I didn't know that there were crisis management professionals. Um, and I kept turning, I had a business partner at the time, and I kept turning to him and I kept saying, there's something here, there's something here, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it until one morning, a uh, one of my clients, we had just launched their website. They were a real estate investment trust. Their VP calls me very early one morning, in a panic, saying, Melissa, our pre the president of the company is in the car with the, a prospective investor. The radio is reporting that one of our buildings is about to explode. It's not true. Investors keep calling in. They're panicked. They want to know what's going on. Apparently, the rumor started on Twitter. We have no idea what Twitter is, but we hear it's a digital thing. And since you just launched our website, we thought to call you. Wow. So, yeah, so kind of whirlwind of a moment. Anyways, I went in within a half an hour. I had the media correcting themselves. I had the information correct on Twitter, but investors weren't going to Twitter. So I had uh, investors receiving the right information because they weren't going to Twitter at that point in time. Anyways, long story short, the next day, the president of the company calls me and says, not only did our unit price not go down since yesterday, but it actually went up a cent. Thank you so much. And that was when I realized people need this. Organizations, that was like the most useful I had ever felt, and I was really good at it. And, and people needed it, and they didn't even realize they needed it yet. So I launched a blog. That was my marketing strategy. I didn't have a big budget back then, and I decided I dedicated myself to blogging five days a week to start raising questions that I didn't understand weren't being raised, why they weren't being raised at that point in time. And mine was the first blog in the world to do that to that level, which was right place, right time. I had the opportunity, the advantage of having some really wonderful crisis management professionals, long-standing careers, great client come to me and it's funny because they turn and they said you know we're not sure if this whole social technology thing is a fad or a trend and how long it's going to last and we're nearing retirements so we don't necessarily want to learn it but we're smart enough to know that our clients need you and your services now can we partner so I got these wonderful mentors that kind of showed me the ropes and opened up their client list to me and I've built you know from there that's amazing it's a great story and it's interesting how technology has flipped things yeah. Um, and, and, and it's, it's for both sides though, right? So for every good thing, there's a bad thing, but we've never had more access to be able to get at a brand than we do right now because of Twitter or Facebook. And I have a story where, uh, you know, I'll make it very quick, but I have, I was a brand loyal person to Jaguar and I had a bad car and they wouldn't fix it. And so to make a long story short, they closed the case and I just tweeted something out that I was frustrated about it. And I put them in, in the hashtag and they called me right away. And I, in the, and there was a, a young lady who made a huge mistake, right? Because she goes, well, every time you tweet something, it comes across my desk. And I was like, Ooh, see, I have automated <laughs> tweet services. I got, so I went and found every negative article I could find on Jaguar and started not only having me tweet it, but my celebrity friends tweet it. And uh, within two weeks we had a settlement for the car, but they cared more about the brand image on Twitter than 
keeping a longtime customer, right? And, and that was something I saw from, from a crisis point. But you raise a really, really good point. That's not a cult. It's a crisis point when it escalates to crisis. That's a cultural point, right? right. So there's this disconnect, um, and it's starting to be bridged now. But that goes to since since United Breaks Guitars by Dave Carroll, since um, the Domino's Pizza fiasco. Both incidents happened in twenty uh, two thousand and nine. Since those incidents kind of catapulted, or um, you know, the awakening of consumers have a voice and a platform to raise that voice and you know that voice can be echoed and its reach is global instantaneously there's been this there was this disconnect where we're going to respond on social and we're not going to respond via email or via telephone or you know loyalty programs with long-standing customers only new customers etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's a it's a good point but it really can come at you from anywhere, right? I mean, that's uh, yes. all of a sudden, again, somebody just leading a Twitter campaign and the next thing you know, the, I've seen a lot uh, of stuff on the web where companies were trying to be cute with Twitter and then just did something, you know, really dumb, right? Really yeah. insensitive or, uh, and, and it just completely, I mean, blows things up. That is what you consider crisis, correct? Uh, no, that would nope. be Tell me no, what not necessarily. <laughs> um, Help me. So there's a difference between an issue and a crisis. And this is essential for organizations to realize and for their teams to understand and to know how to evaluate. Um, issues can go viral and not reach crisis level. So that's important. Um, the difference being that a crisis is a negative event or situation that stops business as usual to some extent. It stops business as usual because it needs to be escalated all the way up to leadership. It needs leadership's guidance, decision-making directives. Why? Because the incident threatens long-term negative impact on one or all of the following five things. People, so stakeholders, the environment, business operations, the organization's reputation, and or the organization's bottom line. So it's that long-term negative impact, I'm underscoring the word long-term, negative impact on one or all of those five things, which stops business as usual. Whereas an issue is, even if it goes viral, is business as usual on hyperdrive. It's, you know, customer service on hyperdrive. It's social media um, engagement on hyperdrive. It's whatever it is on hyperdrive. It does not need to be escalated straight up to leadership because it does not threaten that long-term material impact. Now it can, if it's mismanaged, I'm not, issues need to be managed effectively and actually issues are beautiful opportunities for organizations to live their values and to communicate and act in ways that actually connects them closer with those who matter most to their business. Um, but still viral issues doesn't necessarily equal crisis. And it's so essential for teams to be able to detect, assess, and then respond in real time. That was awesome. <laughs> and now I know <laughs> the difference. Your face there for a second. You're <laughs> no, it was great. Registered. I was in, it wasn't blank. It was enthrallment, if that, if that means Thank anything. So um, we're actually going to go ahead and take a break here. But if you guys haven't picked up on this, Melissa is absolutely an expert, knows what she's talking about. This is going to be an extremely entertaining hour. So please stay with us after the break. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile. And there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality. So you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management. From CA. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we are back to the Work-Life Balance. On this Friday afternoon, we're visiting with Melissa Agnes, and, and she is, has got a book out called Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World. And I'm sure you can find that anywhere, right, Melissa? Find, find yes, it on can. Amazon, right directly from your website. What is your website, by the way? MelissaAgnes.com. There you Pretty go. Simple. There you go. So if you're looking for Melissa, you can find her there. So right before we went to break, we were talking about the difference between an issue and a crisis. Um, but what does it really mean to be crisis ready? And, and how does that translate into brand invincibility, like you said? Crisis ready is synonymous for brand invincibility. Crisis ready is more than just crisis management. When your team is crisis ready, it means that they, and I mean the entire team, the entire organization understands instinctively how to detect a rising risk in real time. They are empowered and trained to assess its material impact. So is it an issue versus is it a crisis? And then they're equipped 
to not just manage the incident in a way that puts it to bed, but managing it in a way that actually increases the trust and the credibility and the goodwill in the organization. So therefore, the syn synonymous part with brand invincibility is that if you're crisis ready and your team can take any blow and take any, and whether it's an issue, a day-to-day -day issue, straight through to catastrophic crisis and respond in a way that actually increases stakeholder trust and credibility and goodwill, goodwill in the brand, then you can weather any storm and you become invincible. So what is it, as an organization, what are some of the common mistakes that we can make in a crisis and, and how do we avert some of those? <laughs> By not being crisis ready. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? By not hiring um, you directly. Here's the risk yeah. of not being crisis ready. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so many mistakes to be made. And the reason is that today with social media, with technology, with the real-time news cycle, with two-way communication, stakeholders have higher demands, the threshold for the demands that we have as consumers in organizations, in brands, starts at a much higher level than it ever did before. And it starts at minute one. So it used to be that organizations could rely on a crisis management plan, which is a term that I never use. I really, really don't like that term. A plan is linear and it sits on a shelf or in a file. A program is cultural and is intrinsic and is cultivated every single day. Um, so it used to be that you know organizations would rely on that plan and they would think that in the event of a crisis, they could just pull this plan, open it up, and guide them through to crisis management success. But the reality today is that by the time you reach for that plan, you're already playing catch up. Right? The story is already potentially miles ahead of you. The media is already picking up on it. Stakeholder expectations are already surging. The phones are already ringing. Social media is already being extremely loud and overwhelming. So if you're going to rely on a plan, you're putting your team at a disadvantage. Whereas being crisis ready means that your team instinctively detected it right from the start. So you have a chance to get ahead of it. They understood how to assess it. And assessing it means that they understand how to re the correct response for it. And then they understand how to respond. So they understand where um, what stakeholders expect in the brand. So what their main concerns are, what they care about, how to reach them effectively in their pockets, which is one of the beauties of technology today, um, in a way, again, that cr increases that trust and credibility in, in, the, in the organization, in the brand. That makes sense? Absolutely. And so I work in project management and a lot of us, you know, look at what you're supposed to be doing for projects and work with cultures of organizations. What we find a lot is the cultures want the results, but won't do the work necessary to get there. Are you finding that a lot? Is, is crisis ready something? Is it something that people are being reactive to, to become proactive? Right. Does that make sense? Uh, so it does make sense. I am, I'm extremely fortunate because the clients that I have are willing to do the work. Um, that, and it kind of goes to people, right? So, I mean, this is the work-life balance podcast. Um, people as human beings, there are some people who want to achieve certain things, whether it's external success or internal, you know, working on yourself, aren't prepared to do the work and just never achieve versus those who do the work every day and whether it's internally or externally and do achieve. Um, same with, with being crisis ready. And what the beauty with crisis ready is that it, it's a culture of putting people first. It's one of my crisis ready rules. People above process and bottom line 
always. And that's a beautiful culture. Intrinsically, like straight through, that's a beautiful culture internally, externally. And it's, you know, there's this, uh, so I have the crisis ready model, which gives, is the five phases that I take with organizations to help them become crisis ready. That's the structure of the book. It takes you through each of those five phases. And the reality is, so it's the crisis ready model is this, you know, contextual model that's a triangle. But once you reach that pinnacle, once you've reached that, you do have, you've ingrained this culture. You've done so much work. You've uncovered so much. You've been through so much team building and all of these wonderful things that now it becomes a part of the culture. And it's not this pinnacle anymore. It's just this ever flowing process um, that's ingrained in the culture, which is when you truly do become crisis ready. Yeah, and we, we, we talk a lot on this show about culture and vision, right? And that, that culture will eat vision for lunch. So you can have a vision for being crisis ready, but if you don't establish a culture to do so, then, then you're not going to be successful at all. Yeah. Um, so coming back to some of those common mistakes, right? Do, do you have a couple of examples that maybe you could share or? Uh, yeah. Of things like not to do that or that most common, common. Yeah. The most common make. things that people There's do. There's yeah. two most common mistakes that I see right consistently. Um, the first is delayed communication, um, and that is very easy to do in this day and age, but there's an expectation of, well, basically, the longer you take to respond effectively, let's underscore the term effectively, <laughs> to a viral issue or a crisis, the more control over the incident you lose, the more control over the narrative of the story you lose, the more stakeholder trust and credibility you risk losing, and the more crisis response penalty you suffer. And the crisis response penalty, the CRP, is a term I coined, and it basically evaluates the short and long-term monetary and reputational impact of a crisis on an organization as a direct result of their ineffective response. And I'll make that real. If we look at, do you remember the incident that United faced last year with Dr. Dow? when he yeah. was dragged off of, brutally dragged off. Another one of my um, Christ Ready rules is always assume there's video. So that went viral within seconds, right? That was captured on video, went viral internationally within seconds. It took United two days to issue an effective response. They issued three, they had three responses within the span of those two days, but it took them two days to issue an effective response. And over the span of those two days, they suffered a lot of re repercussions as a result of this incident. But if we just want to look at the monetary short-term hit, over the span of those two days, they watched their market capitalization drop by $1.4 billion. So if we look at the CRP in terms of a you know correlation or an equation looking at time of response with monetary, direct monetary impact, that's a $700 million a day mistake. Wow. And so one that's in the news, you know, quite a bit lately too, and it, it's, you know, the news cycles are crazy now because it, it seems like people just lose their muster for the follow through of the story, right? Because to United's point, by the time they apologized, everybody was already just mad and moved on, right? They, they didn't care anymore to a point. Um, this one they did. Yeah. Especially, no, you, especially their Asian market. Now that I, I absolutely get. Um, but like the Starbucks story. Which, mm. which continues to, to you know, dominate news cycles and, and still go through. What did you think of that response or, or did you think that that so was a main mistake? This one is, is interesting. So I talk often in, in chapter four, I go through it in my book, um, 
high-risk scenarios. So once you've defined issue versus crisis for your organization, because a crisis for one company doesn't necessarily translate into a crisis for another. Once you've defined your definitions, then it's really essential that you look at or you identify what your most likely high-impact scenarios are, both in terms of issue and in crisis. If we, one of the things that organizations often overlook are societal trends. And that's what we saw with Starbucks. We didn't see Starbucks overlook them, look it. We saw them actually uh, not overlook it, do the opposite in response to what happened. But okay, let me kind of backtrack. Right now we have a societal trend where our society collectively, our culture has said between the Me Too movement, the Time's Up, as well as racial discrimination. As a society, we have decided collectively that we are not going to stand for any of these things anymore. This creates high-risk scenario that is more prevalent to organizations when those that are vulnerable to it. So let me ask you this, Rick. How many times a day around the world do you think that not just Starbucks, but any coffee shop, any retail store, any restaurant, any type of B2C, um, you know, interacting, front-facing, storefront type of business, do things like this occur? And like this, for to clarify for, for viewers and listeners, is um, the Starbucks thing. Uh, two black men were waiting for their friend before they bought coffee and asked to use the washroom. They were told, no, they have to buy something. They said, we're waiting for our friend. The police were called, and they were dragged out in hand. Well, not dragged out, but they were taken out in handcuffs. Um, for loitering and that. And um, what was caught on camera were the stand standard buys. And you can hear the white people recording saying, I'm white. I'm doing the same thing they're doing. Why aren't you arresting me? Yeah. Right? The reason that that took, took so much momentum or gained so much momentum is because of the societal trend that we're not going to stand for that anymore. We're calling it out and we're shutting it down. Starbucks, the way that they responded to it shows was a, was a statement, was a stance to stand in um, solidarity with this movement and to say, we take this seriously. We're going to go above and beyond and do everything in our power to not have a culture that where this is acceptable. So it's an interesting case. And they traded revenue for that, right? So they not yes. only just said, you know, wasn't like, oh, we're going to do diversity training. Don't worry about it. It, I mean, by shutting down the stores, there were people who are like, I want my coffee and, and couldn't interact. I thought that was a very interesting response. It was. And we have to understand why they could have done it so many other ways. That was a conscious choice. And it was for that. It was to show that they stand in support of we don't stand for discrimination against anybody. And if we want to just kind of one extra point there is that the, uh, another high risk scenario is the fact that we don't control people, right? Yeah. So Starbucks has thousands upon thousands of employees, probably millions of employees working for them every day. And we cannot control, we can have a rogue employee is a high risk scenario for a lot of organizations. So it's these two factors that they're now trying to mitigate against. And that's an important thing about the brand, right? Is, is sometimes I feel like in the news cycles though, we don't separate that, right? Because this became the Starbucks thing versus that idiot in the store, right? It, it, to, to a point yeah, too, Starbucks right? it's responsibility. They're accountable uh, for it. Totally agree. Totally agree. But we also, wanting to separate people sometimes, you have to go look and go, this isn't our culture and, you know, ask that person. But at the same time, I feel like sometimes we, we bundle it a little bit too tightly. And yeah, if that, if those people were called out, I mean, first of all, 
if Starbucks would have called them out, that would have been scapegoating. That would have been that totally agree been, with that, you know, brought through the, I'm terrible at analogies, but you know, <laughs> criticize for it. Um, the other thing too is, and my brain goes to risk, right? So the safety, the physical safety of those people would have been put in question and totally agree with that. People. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not advocating naming names. Yeah, no, by, I, by hear any means right. I hear you. Um, I, I just wonder sometimes as a society, do we, even though we understand it's our responsibility, you know, you can only train so much and you can only, right. And, and you get rid of the, the bad employees. Um, but, uh, you know, I got to imagine that, you know, the world's largest bank, there's a couple of people that, that don't have great societal views working for them, right. Until that opportunity presents itself to get rid of it. You know, how do you, how do you do that? So we'll come back on the break on that point. Cause it looks like you're about to debate me and I love oh, it. No, I was just um, going to bring up Wells Fargo, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Um, uh, so we're going to take our break right here. We're with Melissa Agnes. She's our crisis ready expert. We're learning a ton today. So stay with us right after the break. You're listening to the work-life balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the work life balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We're visiting with Melissa Agnes, and she is teaching us a tremendous amount about being crisis ready. Uh, So I just, you know, no more announcements. Let's just get back to it. Um, So we were talking about uh, the societal view, right? And we collectively as a society, how much of that is based on emotion, though? And, and, right, some... Sometimes it's outrage, sometimes it's fake outrage, sometimes it's, you know, piling on, those types of things. But, um, you know, emotion, I think, plays a big part in, in crisis, in, in issue management. And w- what do you do with that? Okay, so I have two really, really important points to make. The first is I, I talked about, you know, identifying and assessing a, a risk. Understand teaching your team to identify and assess the emotional relatability of a situation is essential for understanding if it's going to be an issue that remains kind of just low-key issue versus issue that goes viral versus crisis. Um, The emotional relatability is what sends something going viral. And when emotional relatability is very negative and very, did we talk about, we haven't talked about Crock-Pot, right? Not yet, yeah. Um, Okay, so look at Crock-Pot. Did you see what happened with Crock-Pot earlier this year? Okay, so for viewers, for listeners, um, Crock-Pot woke up to a storm on social and not just on social. They were talked about, they made um, international news. It was on morning talk shows. Basically, this is us. This the the show, the television show, finally revealed how one of their main characters, Jack Pearson, died. He died because they're the show's very old, or the family's very old slow cooker, not a crockpot machine, a generic slow cooker, short circuited, set the house to flames, and Jack died of smoke inhalation. Now we're talking about emotional relatability. So how did Crockpot get dragged into this? Crockpot got dragged into this because viewers at home, so I had never even heard of the show before. I'm not a TV person. Um, but I went and I watched this five-minute segment once everything was going viral, when I woke up to, to this news. Um, and that, I had never seen the show before. And this TV segment, this story was so beautifully cr- crafted that it brought me into it, that it drew me in and like almost brought me to tears just by watching. So never mind people who are emotionally involved with this TV series, right? That never miss an episode. Um, So they're at home with their families. They're watching this show. They're so emotionally compelled by the story. And then they realize, oh my goodness, I have a crockpot machine. I don't want my family to die. So that's that emotional relatability, right? Where they get brought into it. It's completely irrational. But it doesn't matter. It's emotional, so therefore it's real. And as a result, Crockpot woke up to a storm of their customers saying, we're going to throw out our Crockpot machines and never buy another one. We're going to boycott this brand forever. Emotional relatability. Go ahead. I'll let you talk. I'll take I was it. just saying, it's just, it's an amazing story, right? Because it's a, it is an amazing it, story. It, it's, it's um, a fictional thing. Yeah, yeah. And I talk about, okay, so I talk about, you know, your high risk scenarios and identifying them. The beauty of of crisis readiness is that say you have eight high risk scenarios and you are ready for them. You've done the digging and everything that's involved in becoming ready for those, preventing the preventable, managing or preparing for the unpreventable. And this ninth scenario 
like Crock-Pot that nobody in a million years could have ever anticipated. It wasn't even a Crock-Pot machine. It was specifically, like this was not product placement, right? And yet when you're, and yet Crock-Pot was crisis ready. And when you're crisis ready for the eight scenarios that are the most likely high impact to occur, you're crisis ready for the 9th, 10th, 11th that you could not have even fathomed because your team instinctively knows what to do. So what was the response by Crackpot to that? Just oh, Crackpot to was follow so that story. Um, okay, and it goes actually to my second point of emotion. Uh, so, so firstly, Crackpot was not even on Twitter when this broke. So they had flown so far under the radar for so long, I mean decades, that they weren't even on Twitter. They quickly, they, so the three steps, right? Detect, assess, respond in a way that increases stakeholder trust. That's being crisis ready. Um, they detected it early on, right away, they, and they jumped on Twitter. Now, the beauty is that how many organizations could have and probably would have looked at it and said, come on, people. In the history of Crock-Pot, this has never happened before. Our, our machines are designed to not let this happen. You're being irrational. And either they'd come out and say that in some form, or they would say that behind the scenes internally and be like, we're not going to respond to this. This is ridiculous, right? It's going to go away. But it's by assessing that emotional relatability when you re to realize that this isn't going to go away. If, it, if we let it go away, not only are we going to miss this incredible opportunity to connect on that emotional level with our customers, but this emotion is going to reside within them and our brand will forever be tainted reputationally to some extent because it's going to have that emotional connection, negative emotional connection tied to it. That was the risk here. And so that's assessing the emotional relatability. And then you have to also know another crisis ready rule is you can never trump emotion with logic. So you can't just come out and say, guys, you're being ridiculous. Our you know, here's all of the facts. Here's all of the studies. Here's all of the reports. This has never happened in the history of Crockpot. Never once has our, our machine, you know, short, short circuited and set flames to a home. You can't do that because people are emotional and they're not going to hear the logic. You're not going to trump emotion with logic. So what Crockpot did and why they were so, or another reason why they're so crisis ready is that they came at it with emotional intelligence. They understood this. So they jump on Twitter, and I'm paraphrasing here, but they said, basically, our hearts are broken with you. We're devastated that Jack died, and this is how he died. We can't believe it. So they validated the emotion that their customers were feeling, and then they they you know, continued that by saying, but we want you to know, we need you to know that we care about your family. And this is, you know, Crock-Pot is designed to never let this be your reality. And here is the logic. Here's the stats. Here's the studies. Here's the proof that this has never happened. And it's only by doing that, that people opened up their hearts to let them into their minds in that very irrational, that place of irrational emotion that is so deep and you're talking about a fear of killing your family, right? And I'm being very drastic here, but that's the fear. That's what the reality of the situation was. And Crock-Pot was crisis ready. They detected it, they assessed it, and they responded with emotional intelligence, which de-escalated it from crisis level or potential crisis level to issue level to an opportunity to connect further on an emotional level with their customers. And so we do a lot, and you and I on pre-show when we talked, talked about this in disk profiles, and, and one of the things that, that we teach a lot of our project managers is to recognize that some people think task-wise, 
and some people think people wise, right? So there, there, half of the half of the people out there will sacrifice the relationship to get a task done. The other half will sacrifice the task for the relationship. And so is it important to kind of have both of those going in, in a crisis, right? What I you, you loved, said it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, what I loved about our, our pre-call conversation, Rick, was you, you said something to me that nobody has ever said, which was um, – that you know the rational people, so not the not the emotional. Say, let's look at the logical people who knew that this was a story, a fictional story, and it, it's not going to happen to them. They weren't care. They didn't care about it. Did your question to me was, did Crockpot overreact in their minds? Do you remember? Yeah. Like, yep. did did they come across as too emotional? And it's funny because the people that are so I'm a very logical person. I'm more logical than I am emotional. And um, the people who are more logical, who talked to me about it afterwards, said, I thought that they were being ironic. <laughs> like, I thought they were joking. So, which, which kind of brought full circle when you asked me that question, it was, no, you need to respond to the emotion here. The logical people aren't jumping the fence. They're not throwing out their crockpot. They're not at risk of throwing out their crockpot and never buying from you again. So you're speaking to the emotional people. Um, but in turn, the irrational, rational, logical people that didn't get swayed by emotion are looking at it and kind of having fun with it as well. Yeah, but I would still think that they would want to see the facts and figures, right? Oh, At the end of the day, there. they're like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those facts and figures were there, absolutely. And but that, that was my point, right? It's kind of having both. You validated the emotion, which which got you past that, but then you still followed it up with the logical side so that people Which is who what are, they did, yeah. and you need to do that. Otherwise, nobody's going to believe. Um, so in order to successfully manage a viral issue or a crisis, you have to do the following two things simultaneously extremely well. And that is, the first is action, the actions that you take behind the scenes to actually manage the crisis. In this case, that's the facts, right? Those mm -hmm. are the actions that they've already taken to make sure that a crisis like this doesn't happen. And then is the communication. Um, you have to do both of those simultaneously and very, very well in terms, you can't do one without the other. We brought on, you know, we talked about Wells Fargo, just we brought them up right before the break. Um, Wells Fargo has a cultural crisis. That's what happened. And they tried to manage it via only communications. Brilliant, beautifully strategized communications. But the crisis didn't start to get managed until they actually took action. And it's a cult cultural crisis. Culture starts from the top. They need to get rid of their CEO, point final. And they tried to do the communications for months or let's say weeks to a couple months before they finally realized, okay, we have to take action. You can't do one without the other. It has to be simultaneous and both have to be really, really strong. And you just said something that just cracked me up. Point, point final, yeah. though. That's, point final. that's end friend. of discussion. Yeah. <laughs> you can't even debate me. Point final. Yeah. Well, the, the story. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm never going to win an argument with you. I promise. I won't even try. That's good stuff. <laughs> uh, that was great. Um, and so we've got about two minutes before the break. I, again, tell people how to get in touch with you. Where can they find this book? Where can they learn more about all? Because there is a ton here that we're not even going to be able to cover in an hour. Um, MelissaAgnes.com is the best place to go. From there, you will find links to the book. Uh, the book was designed. Oh, the book was designed to be a fun, engaging read for the entire team because crisis readiness is cultural. Um, so you can find you can order book through me at a discount or you can go to Amazon and find Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World, as well as all kinds of free resources on MelissaAgnes.com, um, blogs, videos, podcasts, downloads, 
you name it. There's a wealth of information there. Including her TED Talk, which is phenomenal. I highly suggest you guys go out and, and take a look at that as well. So we're going to take our final break right here. We'll be right back with Melissa Agnes. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies, a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality, so you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback Build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management from CA. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the work-life balance. What's, what's great about having the Zoom conference now, and if you guys haven't caught on, you can actually watch us live via Zoom or Facebook Live as we do the show, is I get to see my guests dancing to that music uh, that, that comes in, which I only paid a quarter of a million dollars for, and that's a whole other story of brand readiness. But uh, <laughs> coming back, but I always shout out the party, my, my crew and, and, and my gang. I appreciate you guys for putting that together. Um, but coming back... Um, we, when we were talking earlier, we were talking about two common mistakes, and I think I cut you off and didn't let you get into the second one. So I'd love to hear what the second common mistake is. You didn't cut me off. We just, the conversation <laughs> got enthralling. Um, the second mistake that I see, that I most commonly see, is employees are an afterthought. 
And that is a, a short and sweet, that is resolved by having head of HR have a seat at the crisis management table. Yeah, I love that. It, in fact, the whole point of work-life balance and the reason why we do this show is, is what we feel is mistreatment a lot of times of the employees or employees being afterthought because we're driving dates and we're driving activity without a plan. And so people are working nights and weekends for things that don't even really matter. Uh, so for some reason, our work-life balance has just gone you know, out the window. Work-life balance now there's, what? What's that? Yeah. I was going to say now there's us who have our own company and, and our passion <laughs> yeah. is our purpose. And mm-hmm. so that's different, right? It's yes, different it than being mandated by a boss or a fear of lo- losing a job. Yes. And, and, and you don't understand why, right? Every time I'm up here and working, I know why I'm doing it, right? And, and I know what the outcome is going to be. Um, so I think that that's interesting um, that, that you say employees are afterthought because I think a lot of times they are. They are. And that's, that's a risk in and of itself. So one of the big questions we like to ask all of our guests is what is some of the greatest advice you've ever received? All right. There, um, we receive so much advice, right, as, as humans and as entrepreneurs, I suppose, too, with who we surround ourselves with. Um, it, this question, there's only ever one answer that comes to mind, and I, it's an interesting one for me. It goes to back when I was about eight or nine years old. My grandmother told me, put your shoulders back, keep your chin up. And if you're not feeling happy, smile anyways, happiness will follow. And it's funny because somebody asked me, I was on another interview recently, and it was the first time this question was asked to me. And that's the, that's the only thing I could think of. And then I kept thinking about it afterwards, and I realized that that is very much a part of who I am um, as a crisis management professional, but I'm, I am a crisis manager. That's, that's who I am as a person. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's the best advice I think that has, or the long lasting ingrained advice advice. That's beautiful. I think uh, when we were laughing about work-life balance, you've got, uh, your phone has got to ring at just the most ridiculous hour for, for, uh, for the most. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? My, my clients are crisis ready which means that they don't have crises. I'm knocking on wood. Um, so I'm very lucky for that. Well, you know, work with them for that. Uh, the worst thing was when I had my, my number at the top of my website and it said in a crisis call. And then I was getting calls in the middle of the night, but by pe- suicidal people, like people who wow. need help that I can't give them. Um, and that was, that was something to, you know, I, I ended up sleeping with the, the suicide hotline number next to my bed so that I was ready for them Good uh, because that's not, you know, what I can do, but I can send them. So I moved that. I removed that. Off <laughs> <of> the <website>. <laughs> <laughs> and we, were, and we were talking about um, my little crisis of the, the other company taking my name and I'm getting all the phone calls about fraudulent credit cards. So if you're listening to me right now, I'm not that R squared consulting. I promise you that. Um, and that's good to know. So, so my kind of risk, you know, thing for that is that could potentially, depending on how corrupt and how um, far reaching this company is, that's screwing people over, um, can potentially negatively impact your reputation, whether you like it or not. So right. something to be aware of. And if you want to chat offline, I can kind of just help you be ready for that. Absolutely. Uh, and so are there any final comments that, that you'd like to, to share with the audience? I will leave with this thing, this one thing. Um, if ever you don't know what to do when faced with a negative situation, be it an issue or a crisis, if you always focus on putting people first, internally and externally, if you always focus on taking actions and steps towards strengthening and rebuilding relationships and trust, then you will always lead your team in the right direction. 
it, it, leadership is all trust, right? Yeah. And, and again, I belong to a segment when we were talking DISC. I have to 100% trust my leader for me to follow them, right? I can't blindly follow anybody. And that's probably why I own my own company. I don't even trust the leader of that all the time. But uh, <laughs> the point is, <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust myself and my own decisions. Um, but uh, no, it, it's important how much trust plays into everything that we yes. do, whether, whether we're doing strategic planning or whether we're doing crisis ready planning. Um, and so I, 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 I love that part. Um, and one of the biggest people that, that I've looked up to in that scenario is John Maxwell. Okay. In his books and in the things that he writes, because it's all about connection with people. Uh, he's got a book, Everybody Communicates, Few Connect. Hmm. Um, and so he's been such a, a bright light and mentor to, to me. I've, I've been blessed to, to, uh, to get a chance to hear some of the things he says. The, he gave me my favorite advice uh, as well, which came from Carl Jung. He's like, until you make the subconscious conscious, it'll rule your life and you will call it fate. So uh, to, to us, it's about finding blind spots and improving oh, I those. I love that. You like that? That's yeah. so real. I know. Once you get it, once that, that quote sunk into me, I was all in. I, I mean, that's, I live my in. life. I live my personal life that way. And right. that is just so beautifully articulated. It's Carl Jung. It's an old quote, but man, does it make a lot of sense for me. So, Melissa, you have been an absolute pleasure. We, we got to have you back soon. You, Anytime. You to come back? Yes, please. All right. All right. So, uh, again, you can go to melissaagnes.com and find out all about Melissa. If you're looking to become crisis ready, this is the person to talk to. I've met a lot of people in this industry and nobody like you, Melissa, and that's, that's uh, coming from the heart. You're fantastic at what you Thank do. Thank you. I appreciate that, Rick. And so coming up next week, um, we're actually going to have a great friend of mine, Chris Rollins, on the, the phone. And we were talking about DISC here. He is one of the profound DISC experts. So we're going to talk about how to utilize DISC, how to really understand DISC so that you can start to build your professional profile and communicate at a different level. So Chris is a lot of fun. He talks faster than I do. So it's going to be a really, really <laughs> quick and entertaining show. Uh, but uh, we're going to have Chris Rollins on with us next week. And as always, we're here for you every Friday on the Voice America Business Network with the Work-Life Balance. You can find us at R2 Consulting on the Facebook page and be able to see this live. Or you can go to rickamorris.com slash voiceamerica and register to be part of the Zoom broadcast with any of our guests that are coming up. So we'd love to have you. You get to see us and, and, and see the hand movements that come with it. So when Melissa did point finale, you got the full piece <laughs> of that. Uh, so we hope that you'll join us in all these different formats, and we look forward to talking to you next Friday. You've been listening to Rick Morris, The Work-Life Balance. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. Thanks.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000, but the most you'll get from government benefits is $255. How will your family pay the difference? We can help. Our senior plans start as low as just a dollar a day and pay up to $30,000 for a 